Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to Woodman Corner, the Albion podcast that promises you we're going to go on for 45 minutes and for 44 of them we won't mention the awful football team that you have to see every week. Uh, I'm Graham Brown and this week I'm here with a special guest which is, uh, which is Steve Wollaston. He is the uh, audience engagement editor of Birmingham Live. How are you doing Steve? Yeah, I am only here for the first bit, aren't I? 45 minutes. Uh, for, we have 45 minutes, but but we've got uh, we we it isn't going to be you. You're safe. Thank you, God for that. I'm not going to ask you about Albion for all this time. I can't talk about Alan Pardew for 45 minutes. Uh, no, no, no one wants to do that, which is precisely why we don't. So, um, Steve, before we before we jump into our guest, uh, the uh, I just want to talk about Daniel Sturridge. So you're 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 uh, at the, you manage our football desk. Did Albion do the right thing buying Daniel Sturridge, loaning Daniel Sturridge? Um, no, not really. I think if you were going to sign anybody in uh, in January, you, you would surely, if you were putting all your apples in one basket, have gone for a player that wasn't a risk. They knew he was going to get injured. Yeah. I mean, everybody knew he was going to get injured. It was written. Um, so no, I don't think they did. I think it was a really bad decision. I mean, obviously they got the wages to cover as well, but they really needed a striker. They still really need a striker. Funny enough, I thought you were going to say they should have signed Troy Deeney, which obviously would have been to the point given he's just scored the winner against us. Albion aren't operating in, in a world where they can sign Troy Deeney at the moment, I don't think. And it, why would he want to go to Albion at the moment? Even even if you know, if Albion were 10th still, they might have stood a chance. Um, but the January transfer window was, was, to be fair, a disaster for Albion. Well, it would it, be very po-faced of me to agree with you. And I, so actually, I, I think Albion did need to take a risk. They were in such a mess. And, and, and again, I mean, I, I came on this podcast bouncing around when they signed Daniel Sturridge. He's a player I, I really rate. Yeah, history, I will, history will say, you know, that, that, that obviously he was going to be injured and so on. But, but I think Albion needed to take a risk because they were screwed then and they're all the more screwed now. Um, what I would say is, or oh, actually it's an interesting question, if Albion signed Troy Deeney rather than Daniel Sturridge, would it make any difference whatsoever? I think Jordini would have got a couple of goals. Yeah, I know what you're saying about that they needed to take a risk, yeah, but what worries me is the fact that if that was the A, B, C, D and E plan for January, that's worrying, you know, that they hadn't got other options that would have, you know, maybe alongside a Daniel Sturridge because they were so shot shy. You know, there's no goals going in for Albion. You would think that there, there would have been better options than just relying solely on Daniel Sturridge coming in and saving them. I think it was either that or the nuclear option of, uh, of, of blowing the whole place up and pretending that we didn't play football anymore. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're in a mess. I mean, I was... <laughs> the obscurity of it is, like all the other fans, I was happy with summer and I was happy with January. The problem is the sum total of it is, um, is a mess. And actually, I, I think there's a few kind of, um, like, really clear lines, really. I mean, I've always thought that... People don't talk enough about the loss of McCauley as a uh, a great defender who scores seven goals a season. But also, um, 
I don't think people talk enough about Darren Fletcher, who, I mean, it's ludicrous that Stoke gave him a three-year contract. He didn't even play for him anymore, and, that, and it was the wrong thing to do. But I, I think Taxigate brings to, to the fore an issue, which is, would Johnny Evans have been sat in a taxi at 5.30 in the morning if he was sat next... If, 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 if the person he was sat next to, Gareth Barry, was still Darren Fletcher? I'm not sure he would have. Yeah, who knows what went on on that night, to be honest. But you, you say about the signings, and you say how happy you were about the signings, but I, I find that quite interesting. I mean... I can see why Albion fans were happy, but isn't it remarkable how you look at the signings they've made and each one, big signings, you know, your Burks, um, Kukoviak, yeah, Livermore, all of these players, you could make an argument for, for none of them have really worked. No, I mean, Livermore's not a shoe in for a place. There's no way you can't loop Livermore as working. Uh, th- that's right. I think it's a cultural thing more than anything, and I, and, and I think perhaps they've kind of invested. Uh, in the wrong parts of the team, you know, you've got, you know, in Zhang and um, uh, and Burke, you've got twenty three million pound of of outlay on on transfer fee, that's kind of an irrelevance. Meanwhile, um, you know, you've got problems in central midfield, problems in central defence, and you haven't. You, I mean, you tell storage who's never fit. You don't have a functional striker. I think in retrospect, um, the recruitment hasn't been done right. But what I would say is, I was happy with it at the time. So. Yeah, I think a lot of Albion fans were. I think with, with the ageing squad that they had and the kind of lack of depth, you needed all of those players to come in and instantly just hit and be really good to start with. Yeah. And none of them have particularly been good at, on any level, really. I think that's kind of apocryphal for where we were going, really, because Albion have got... Um, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what I should say is I'm quite a smart bloke. It's a big word. It... it, 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 it points in the direction of the of travel for where we're going really there's going to be a massive turnover of players in the summer I think bigger than most most people think but regardless there's going to be a huge turnover of players when you think that you know realistically our two central midfielders now aren't going to be there Johnny Evans ain't going to be there it's plausible Hagazi isn't going to be there certainly Daniel Sturridge isn't going to be there you've got your whole spine to replace you're talking 15 players yeah and, and I mean the, you, I would, you would struggle to point back you, you struggle to point to a team in history who've replaced their spine in the summer and then won the league the next year more importantly you're talking about a team that need to be full of championship players yeah, well I mean that's to, to some extent or at least bridge players that's going to be easier because, because they're going to have to make changes and they'll only be able to sign championship players I think the problem's going to be um, moulding together a team that's actually got a bl- our team doesn't blend now how, how are you going to bring in a manager and an entirely new team that's going to, be, that's going to make a team that works next well, season well what you've got is, is to, slightly different but you've got the, the whole Villa issue you've got the Villa problem that's what happened to Villa when they went down they got this team that everybody just thought oh you know trim a few off they'll bounce straight back up because these are quality players it doesn't work like that the championship is such a complex league and Albion have got to get back into that kind of mindset of what makes a good team at championship level on the pitch and you can't really see many players in that team that are traditional players that are going to get you out of the championship there are some but they need a lot of players so I've been kind of agreeing already I've, we've overstepped our uh, being depressive about the current Albion team so ask me who's our, uh, our guest this week yeah who is the guest Graham tell all thrilled that you've asked me since I started this podcast one of the very very first people I wanted as a guest on the podcast is Stuart White who's um, who, who was head of scouting at the Albion up until three or four years ago absolutely top bloke for anyone who, anyone who follows him on Twitter really really good bloke really receptive he's someone who started at Stockport but kind of became an Albion fan having been at the Albion through uh, you know, Megson uh, Robson and on and on and on uh, recruit some great people for the Albion um, and, uh, and there's some brilliant stories here two, two things to look out for 
it's been said before that he skated a Bamiyang for Albion, but the kind of ongoing story about that is gold. And also, uh, towards the end, um, he talks about quite how close we've got to signing Lukaku for the second time. Can you just imagine the difference that would have made were that to have happened? Maybe we wouldn't be telling such a depressive story now. Um, so here is Stuart White. So I'm, uh, I'm here with Stuart White, who's someone that I've, uh, I've desperately courted for this podcast ever since we started. So thank you very much for joining us. Stuart, for those of you who don't know, was the head of scouting at the Albion back at a time when we scouted some useful players. So Stuart, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Not at all, you're welcome. Nice to be here, thank you. So, so if I could start off by asking the question that I ask everyone, um, where your favourite memory at the, at the Albion, the, the memory that you will, will regale your, your grandchildren with in time, what, what, what would you take with you? It's difficult to say really because obviously I was there for a number of years um, but in terms of the full-time years most of the stories you have are of not so much of, of entertaining stories that you can that you can uh, tell but that the whole period was just an absolute pleasure to be around the club um, but so there weren't any sort of individual moments of hilarity and what have you we had we had, we had obviously we, it's like any office environment you have a you have a good time while you're there with your colleagues and you get to know them and you get on with them but there was no real major sort of laughing points I remember there were obviously there was the snowman incident with Scott Carson's car one 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 winter time that, <laughs> that, but again it's not really us that that were involved in that most of our stories are centered of you know on, on what, what we were doing around Europe around your job really and my job and that of my colleagues Tony Spearing and, and Dan obviously was to go to games wherever they may be and most of my memories go back to you know how we did on certain days when I was wherever in in Europe so regardless of getting straight to when you were in Europe, regardless of the story of when uh, when uh, you, you spotted what turned out to be a rather useful player of the future. Yeah, this story has already sort of like surfaced in the past um, inadvertently, but there was an afternoon where the previous evening I'd been to Dijon. Um, my game was uh, Dijon. I can't remember the opposition, but it was to watch a centre forward playing for Dijon called Sebastian Ribas. Um, who I think was coming out of contract at the end of that season. Um, had scored a lot of goals in, in League Two in France. And I flew into France that, that morning and drove to Dijon, watched the game, and it wasn't for me at all. But the way we used to work was, and I presume everyone still will do at, at the Albion, is, is to, if you have one game in particular, you'll try and pad out your weekend with one or two more games mm-hmm. um, to make the trip more worthwhile and to see more players. And the following evening... Um, I was down to go to Auxerre against Saint-Étienne. It was the day, and again, <laughs> all the time I sort of refer back to games you know, on the weekends where we played. And that day we'd, we'd beaten Sunderland 3-2 uh, in the afternoon. Uh, got to Auxerre sort of early to mid-afternoon. I'd watched a, a youth team game of sorts uh, on a training pitch adjacent to the stadium. Spent the next hour or so sweating on our result, which obviously had a, a happy outcome in that we beat Sunderland 3-2. And then my game was, uh, it, was a, it was a lovely balmy evening, it was warm, it was uh, towards the end of the season, April time, if I remember rightly. And um, yeah, Auxerre against Saint-Étienne, and I, I knew of one or two players at Saint-Étienne, uh, Blaise Matuidi was playing, um, Dimitri Payet. Um, I watched the game, it was a two-all draw, and up front for Saint-Étienne was uh, a lad on loan from Milan. And it turned out to be Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who caught my eye. No more than that. I'd never heard of him, never seen him before. We had no, to my knowledge, we had no prior reports on the system at the time from our French scout or from Spiro and his travels. But he just stood out on the day. His pace, his movement, his sheer athleticism. He'd scored, uh, as had Riviere, his partner, who we had an interest in a little while later. Um, Again, he just he just stood out, and I came back um, the following morning. I flew 
back to Manchester and drove down to Villa. I went to Villa, I think I think it was against Newcastle that Sunday afternoon with Roy. Um, I had a chat with Roy, mentioned the player to him. Um, and then in the week spoke, uh, obviously filed my report, which I think had been maybe a B grade, which at the time meant he was capable of playing in our team. Um, and Dan, to his credit, and this is how he is, and he, he's absolutely outstanding. Dan Ashworth. Yeah, beg your pardon, yeah. Um, had said that, you know, I, I sort of said, could you please go and have a look or someone to follow this player up? It should really have been Spiro, but Spiro may have been going elsewhere already. It was mm-hmm. towards the end of the season, so there wasn't a lot of time to actually make a, a check on him. Um, so Dan went out to watch him either one or two weeks later and went to watch him playing away at Sosho. Um, and I was at home, it was a Saturday evening game, and I was at home and I was sort of following the events of that game on, on teletext, I think it was at the time, as opposed to it being on my laptop or anything. But Aubameyang scored after about five minutes to put them one up. And, uh, and I was kind of happy that, you know, thankfully the trip for Dan had not been a, you know, a waste of time and that something had happened whereby yeah, obviously he'd had an impact. His time's valuable, isn't it? You don't, you don't even know. No, exactly. Exactly. And there's one or two stories there where he sort of maybe thought I hadn't hmm. given him the right sort of um, brief on a player. But on this particular occasion, you know, he'd scored. So I'm thinking, fantastic, you know. Got back into the ground, training ground the following week, and they ended up losing that game 2-1. And Dan had uh, asked me what I thought, you know, I asked asked Dan what he thought of the player, and just he he quite liked him, um, but on the day hadn't really shown quite enough. And that can happen, players' performances are up and down. But on that particular performance, Dan, Dan didn't think that it was worth carrying forward and that can happen it's not a criticism of Dan by any means it can just be the case that a player doesn't catch your eye and doesn't do his yeah, things that you might want him to do to fit into the blend of your team so it was like kind of a line was drawn under it you know, obviously Dan, Dan's my boss and you don't push it um, and he obviously ended up going to I think he went back to Sintetia on a permanent deal mm-hmm. um, that summer and then moved from there because he was a Milan player at the time AC Milan player and then obviously from there to Dortmund, then he's gone on to great things. But I must stress, every single scout under the sun must have a similar tale. Yeah. You know, there's the one that's got away so many times over. It's, it's, not, it's not clever to say you've seen a player that's ended up being a, a very good player, a big success. It's just not. It can happen every, every weekend. And as I say, when you've been on the circuit, so to speak, for... Blimey, I've been on it for 27 years now from, from my initial part-time work... Um, Everyone's got a tale about a oh, well, player that worry. we should have signed. We'll get on to your bad, to, to, to your oh, bad advice. There's been a few, like. don't worry. The, um, but, but there was an apocryphal game that you mentioned at Sosho. Uh, just complete that story. What happened in the game? <laughs> Sosho had won the game 2-1 and um, a striker had scored two for them that, that evening. And uh, it was brownie day. Uh, so, so there was how, how these so, things turn out yeah so a, a report had gone on our sister from Dan and again I must stress not going overboard about him you know but it's one appearance it's one game but he scored two that, that evening and Dan had sort of made a comment about him and given him you know a bang average rating uh, yeah. you know a C sort of thing but then there was something on our system about Brownie Day then because oh, that's how you do it you don't just put a reporting on the one player you see if others catch your eye then you make notes you know you, you build an audit trail starting from, from you know the game in question and you know, Brown obviously caught Dan's eye that day, and you can see why because he didn't have a successful time with us. But but at the same time, you know, he he did have a pedigree of sorts. Yeah, and if you go to a game, someone scores two goals. That's that's, that's their job. So so you're going to have a, a, have something to fall. So what about um, looking back at your time at Albion? Who is the best player that ended up that Albion ended up signing that you filed a report on? Um, oh, I'm it's 15 years. But I think if you if you're going to talk about 
longevity and what have you, players that were recommended going back to when I was part-time included Chris Brunt, um, James Morrison, uh, who else? I mean, we can talk about going back into Gary Megson's days. There was Rob Hulse and Thomas Gard. So there are a number of players, really. There's all sorts. But I think the one that I'm kind of like most proud of, which... And again, it's never just one individual who makes the recommendation. It's down to that individual. It's yeah. always a departmental thing. But where we actually followed a player from a regional scout having made the first observation on a player to myself having picked it up and liked him and getting further opinions from other regional scouts, but also keeping tabs myself by going to watch him several times over a period, uh, was Craig Dawson. Um, we'd seen a gentleman called Colin Moss, who worked for us in the Northwest. Had seen Craig playing for Rochdale against Everton in a pre-season friendly and just literally made the same sort of comment as Dan will have done about Brown and Day that, that evening. Um, that he'd caught his eye, done well, he had certain characteristics about him that were, that were positive and he was worth following up. So my job at the time as, as head of UK recruitment was to make sure that those players were followed up. So I would go and other scouts around the country when Rochdale dropped into their area would go and watch him. And we quickly built up an awareness of, of Craig. And I remember going to watch him play um, at Lincoln. I think it was like November, December time. Um, they won 3-0. He scored a trademark header at a time from a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked him. And I'd seen him maybe two or three times at that point. Um, and it was at that point, really, that we sort of like had a, a confirmed interest in Craig. So it had taken maybe three months to actually get to that stage um, Dan, I asked Dan to go to watch him in a home game uh, and I remember Dan saying that for the first 20 minutes he didn't see why I'd asked him to go and look at him mm-hmm. but then after that he grew into it and you start I mean Craig at the time, you don't really see it greatly now but especially when he plays at fullback but he does have a big diagonal he can, he can open a game out, he can reverse it out of the right side he can ping it onto the left side he can play through lines, he started his career as a kid as a midfield player so he does have a degree of quality, even though he's not renowned for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big overriding thing about him was his, the way he could like make first contact and come over the top of people, lean in, and just be a real competitor. And obviously, at that time, and when he went back to Rochdale on loan, having signed for us, he scored a lot of goals God, from, yeah. from, from set plays. Yeah. He must have been, if not their leading scorer, right up there in the yeah. promotion season they had the following season when he was our player. So in terms of, like, yeah, I'm, I'm massively proud of that one because... As a as a department, that was the perfect process. Yes, yeah, no, I, I, I can absolutely understand. And actually, the process from then on, Rena. But so, you know, we talk about a hey, someone we've invested six hundred grand in that we've got millions and millions of value out of, them and and it retain, it retains a huge value to us now. I, I think it, I think it was four hundred from memory. Um, so I, again, not every player has to cost a fortune. No, it's, and, it's, and typically speaking, I remember Mark Mark Jenkins at the time producing a, a study, if you like, about where we'd actually have good value out of players. And interestingly, it was never really where we'd had it, you know, where, where, where players had come in for an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. It was typically speaking, those of lesser value that had actually exceeded expectation yeah. over a period of time that we'd had good value from. Um, and again, it's all part and parcel of the business of football where you do have to have to look at those things. What a, what a very Albion report that sounded like. But the, No, but I think it's the right thing to do. No, no, I, I know, absolutely. Well, I mean, things like... I mean, I, I, we, what jumped into mind when you say it's things like bringing in a 36 year old Kevin Campbell and getting an extra year out of him that's terrific value isn't it, it costs you nothing and, and, uh, and makes you millions of pounds but again it's something whereby Kevin Campbell by all accounts and I speak to I mean, my colleague currently at, at Hull City Lee Darnborough was, was around the first team I think I'm right in saying he was first team analyst at the time um, and he moved on to the recruitment side just as I joined the club 
uh, full time. Um, but he would say, even recently, we were talking about Kevin Campbell when he was making one of his uh, laser blue suited appearances on Sky, mm -hmm. um, how great a character he was around the place, and yeah. how at the time when we needed it to try and pull us out of that, you know, that great, great escape scenario, uh, he was ideal. Perhaps, so. perhaps not the sign of the banner. So, so I've been too easy on you so far. So, so talk me through some of your worst signings. Then the, 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 all scouts have them. Some uh, sometimes where where we, some players you wish perhaps they hadn't recruited. We do. I think I think the one that I've well, mentioned him already. It wasn't necessarily one person who who ends up being responsible for an acquisition, but Brownie Day was one who who didn't do it. And from from early on when he came in the building, you you started to think. You know, he doesn't look like what we thought he, he was. But then I go back to the fact that we hadn't seen him for three years. It was a, it was a strange one, really. But um, Dan obviously had seen him once. I'd seen him playing in a, a friendly for Nigeria against Ghana um, at Watford. It was a, a, a awful night. Poured down with rain. It was a nil-nil draw. It was one of those FIFA prestige friendlies that were arranged on foreign soil sort of thing. But it and it was, was a long time before we'd, we'd signed it. It was a good two or three years. Yeah. And at that point, he'd, he'd already moved from Sosho to, uh, whether it was directly or indirectly, I can't remember, but he'd gone to Kiev for big money. Yeah. So you weren't thinking that he was anyone at that stage who would ever be realistic for us mm -hmm. because he'd, he'd had too premium a value. But um, we used to have a situation where we, we had what we called the cupboard, where players that had been of interest or come to the fore if they'd moved on or um, had, we'd dropped interest in them, rather than just like taking them off your, your lists, off your system altogether, we used to put them into what we called the cupboard, whereby there was this big list, exhaustive list of numerous players. And every now and again, if you were thinking about, you know, come on, I'd jog my memory, tell me about a player, you know, we'd go into the cupboard and, and, find, the, and find certain players. And their situations may have changed. Mm -hmm. You know, over, over a, a one-year, two-year period, they may, even though you, you may have really liked a player, He'd gone elsewhere for big money. To all intents and purposes, the interest had died. But if that player then doesn't do it at that club, um, he may become available at a knockdown price or on loan or whatever. And Brown was one who who came up, um, but we hadn't seen him. So what we actually did was to you know to watch him um, on a system called Y Scout, where you can watch a full game, download, watch a game back, and all of us throughout the whole department, we we watched the game each. Um, of him playing for, well, certainly the game I watched was 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 Kiev, but others had watched uh, other games, and from those you know, online viewings, we formed an opinion. Now, to my mind, you never stop learning in football, in life, whatever. But in football, you certainly don't ever stop learning, and I would never ever advocate making a judgment on a player purely from watching him online. Yeah, it's it's fatal. It can inform a scouting process without a shadow of a doubt. But on that one, you know, that's that's how we came to have him on a shortlist. Yeah, you know, the deal happened, and we were hopeful, obviously, as you are, because at the time he was he was a lot of money for us, and it didn't come off. Um, thankfully, the club got a degree of money back. Um, he scored, I think, it was seven goals in all competitions, which is not horrendous, but it wasn't good enough. No, uh, he never looked the sort of player that we actually had, had hoped he would be. So if you're going to sort of like talk about a player having having been a, a failure as such, maybe you could say he was. Um, but thankfully, he did still get a number of goals. Um, I think but, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot worse, to be honest. <laughs> there's a lot worse. But, but you do. I mean, it's one of those things. You, you do sort of feel it personally. If a player doesn't do it or if your team isn't doing well, you mm -hmm. can't help but feel some sort of responsibility almost. Um, yeah. and Especially when it's 10 million quid, I guess. Yeah, well, I think it was actually less than that in the end. I think it was rising to 10. And obviously, his performances didn't end up meaning that that yes. happened. 
but and again I think it was four point whatever million that did come back in yeah, yeah, from yeah. LNPR costs but but yes that, that's one that didn't work but you're going to get players that don't work but I'd like to think that over the period of time that I was there and privy to how we brought a number of players in I, we certainly got more right than we got wrong. Uh, I mean, I would say that the, the, the average Albion fan would say that, that you, you were there across a period where we skated very well and you left at preceding a period where we skated rather less well, but I, w- I won't expect you to comment on that. No, I, I don't think that's fair. I just think there's a lot of good people at that club, even today. You know, it's three years since I left, um, but I know the processes, I know the individuals, and they are excellent people. Even the people that I know that came in when I left, I mean, Andy Thorne, I've known for a number of years, obviously managed locally at Coventry briefly. Yeah. Outstanding at what he does. There's, there's, there's no way that you can point fingers at the people in the recruitment department now and say that what they're doing is wrong. I just, I think they will still be observing the right processes. Um, from being inside football clubs um, in the last you know, six or eight years, things are never necessarily as they appear. Can I ask, the, the, um, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting about you is, uh, is that Gary Megson was involved in your sort of get your your coming into football. Talk me through your sort of experiences with Gary and how you found him. A one, absolutely brilliant person. Um, but in terms of my having a career in football scouting, he was pivotal. Um, I'd been scouting part time for Stockport for a number of years. Primarily, my, my father had been on the board. So mm-hmm. I mentioned before nepotism when we had a brief chat beforehand. You know, before Gary came into Stockport, I'd done some work for Danny for, for Danny Begara, um on a part-time basis. Bearing in mind this is many years ago, I was still a student at the time. I was at university in Sheffield, um, and then obviously Dave Jones was briefly there. Well, not briefly, two years, and we had a great success with one season where we got promoted and and got to the semi-finals of the League Cup under Dave Jones, which was fantastic as a Stockport fan, which I, you know, I grew up as a Stockport fan. And then Gary came in, and it was one of those occasions where my, my father, you know, bless him, as I say, was vice chairman at the time, had mentioned to, to Gary that his son would you know, like to do a bit of scouting. And you can imagine, and I can certainly imagine, what Gary's reaction might have been to that, like, director's son. Mm. I'm going to have to just like, oblige yeah. um, sort of thing, but I don't particularly feel it's going to be the way forward. But Gary invited me in uh, for a meeting. Uh, I actually... <laughs> I worked for a PR company in Altrincham at the time and I, I made up a meeting in Manchester with a client mm. to make sure that I could go and meet Gary and his staff, which was Mike Phelan, um, David Moss, who's now at Liverpool on the academy recruitment side, and Craig Madden, and Harry McNally, bless him, who again has, has passed away now, but he was the chief scout. And I went and spent two hours, maybe one Friday afternoon, chatting away, and he then gave me a game to go to the next day. And I learnt so much off Gary. And he would... Uh, not go to games with me first team wise but if Stockport Reserves were playing on a Wednesday evening as they used to at Edgley Park I'd go up on the way home from work and he would take me behind the goal and sit with him or take me into the box away from the few hundred maybe spectators that were there and he would talk me through the game and he would ask me questions about a certain player's performance who was doing the best job within the role they were supposedly um, fulfilling and put me right more often than not bearing in mind again I was 25 or something like that maybe a little bit older Um, yeah 28 probably Um, and I learnt a huge amount and then when he came uh, when he left Stockport and went to Stoke I didn't uh, go with him um, not least because he'd got John Rudge and various other people that John Rudge obviously had faith in as part of his recruitment team but when he came here to West Brom 
I was straight on the phone on the day of his appointment, um, had a garbled conversation, went to watch us play, ironically, at Stockport on a Saturday. And from there on, I initially um, worked on a basis whereby I would scout for us um, one weekend and the next weekend if Stockport were home, he was very gracious in that he knew I was a county fan and said, just go and watch your team mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it got to the end of that season I just decided that if I was going to do it for this club, I was going to do it properly. And, and gave you know Gary and you know, the word that if he was happy for me to do it, I'd just do it properly on a part-time basis, albeit. And that's where I started, really, from from there on. Yeah, it's okay, I, I, that, funny if actually I thought jumped to my mind when we were talking before. So all this time you've been skating, twenty-five years. So you skated Chris Brunt for us, and Chris Brunt's probably the one Albion player I'm allowed to be nice about now, given the, the current state of play. Have you ever seen a better left foot than Chris Brunt in all the time you've been watching football? Not many. I mean, there's, there's been obviously left-sided players. Neil Clement was another one that we, you know, obviously brought in who had a terrific left foot in terms of his the way he struck the ball. And again, Brunty, yeah, I made a recommendation, but Brunty wasn't just it wasn't just me. Obviously, yeah. there was a department, Bobby Hope, you know, the, the the gaffer, Simon Hunt at the time. I was one of several who would have recommended Chris. Um, but in terms of his left foot, no, I mean, absolutely phenomenal. You can, I mean, I think Neil was another one who you could you could ask him to you know put a ball in. He could he could buy half a yard and put it in. Mm-hmm. Brunty's the same. He didn't have to have outstanding pace. Yeah, he could he, he could fashion the space with the, you know from which to put the ball in and nine times out of ten they'll put it on a sixpence for you so thank you to Stuart White for doing that and thank you for joining us again this week I can promise you that as we go on throughout this season barring some remarkable upturning fortune I'm going to try and keep you away from uh, dwelling on the misery that is being an Albion fan at the moment but thank you for joining us if you enjoyed it uh, tell your friends if you didn't tell me how I can make it better uh, and we'll see you again next week for another podcast thank you